It starts off this way, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then he starts off, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. I'm going to stop there for a moment because you will notice if you go over to Luke, Luke starts with Adam, and you said, okay, so why didn't he? Well, let's end the focus. Matthew's focus with starting with Abraham is that he is starting with the promise. He is starting when God made his covenant to Abraham, to whom who would become the Jews. And when he covenanted with them and promised a Messiah, down the line. And so what he, what Matthew was doing was starting with God's promise. I love that. Because for you and I, it all starts with God's promise. Minister Rice said earlier, none of this came from within. None of who we are and what we do came from within us. This is not a Disney movie where we are telling you to look inside yourself and to find your way. If that was all it took, you would have found your way by now. And none of you would be sitting here this morning because you wouldn't need Jesus. And see, so the issue is, uh, he said, this is all happening outside of us. It all starts with a promise, and that promise was God. I love this. What can we learn from the genealogy? God is a God of grace who keeps his promises. The promise itself was an act of grace because there should be no business for, for, for a being perfectly holy and pure as we have seen, as we've studied the character of God, that he would even make a promise. Why? To me and you? And so when we look at who he is, it starts with his promise. When you are in your worst time, when you seem to be disillusioned by what's happening, remember God has made a promise. And he is a God who keeps his promises. See, we're talking about now thousands of years. We're talking about some years that have gone by. See, I can make a promise, and, and, and I may have broken that promise before the day is up, not because I intended, but because I can't keep it. I said something that I don't have the authority to fulfill. I did something, or I promised something that I don't have the sovereignty, the wherewithal, the strength the compassion, the goodness, the grace, the kindness, the mercy, to fulfill it. But here you see God, years later, generations later, being talked about in fulfilling a promise. This is the God that you say you believe in. What do we learn from a genealogy? That God is a God of promise and that he keeps that promise. And I like that. And he keeps that promise in spite of our mess. Remember when we were going through the life of Joseph? Remember that? This is what, these, this is what verse 2 should bring back to your memory. 
In the genealogy, Matthew was saying Abraham was the father of Isaac. First of all, when you think of Abraham, I know we like to think lofty and all that he did in good, but can we think the messy Abraham for a moment? Can we think the Abraham that, that, that messed up repeatedly? Can we think of the Abraham that lied and almost got his wife put in a compromising position? And yet God kept and fulfilled his promise. And just in case you're thinking that's Abraham, can I ask you to look back in your own life and to remember when you've done some things that, boy, if they were exposed, may even equal, if not surpass, Abraham? I'm talking about me too. See, the issue is, I love this, when he said Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac Jacob, this is interesting. He said, and Jacob, Judah. He didn't choose Joseph, who I would have chosen. Judah? Do you remember the story of Judah and what he did when we looked at the life of Joseph and the mess that he created and ended up sleeping with the process? I mean, this dude, it was a mess. This is who... Matthew was choosing to put in the genealogy. He said, Judah and his brothers. If I was looking at this, I would have written Joseph, and, because Joseph, he's the one that came out the hero. Judah was the one that had to come back and to live with the mess that he had created. He is the one that had to help bring his brothers back and to tell them the wrong that they had done. And yet, Matthew is including him in the genealogy. What is that saying? You, your mess, my mess doesn't end God's promise. Just because you messed up, just because you were disobedient, just because you decided to go out of God's will, doesn't mean God's promises stop. Now, it also doesn't mean you don't have consequences, because I would, I'd look, I would warn you to go look at the life of Judah. And look at what happened to him, and look what he had to come back and deal with. And look at the mess that it made in his family, and yet God is still keeping his promises. Listen, yes, you might have done something that has been so bad and so wrong. And you might have wandered off the way, but God is still keeping his promises. What promise? That he would bring about a Messiah that would still bring about salvation to everyone, even you and I who messed up. And just because we go off course, just because we turn our back on what is right, doesn't mean God can't redeem. Now, I would warn us not to presume on God like that because all did not make it back although they may be with the Lord and consequences still come we see that in scripture but I just want us to know just because you messed up doesn't mean God is done He's a God of his promise. I do want to do one footnote. If you look at Matthew and then you look at Luke and you will see the bloodline, you say, okay, now there's some difference here. What's going on? One of them is giving you the genealogy of succession to the throne, Matthew. 
The other one is giving you genealogy through bloodline, Luke. Both are correct. Why? Because of who they were writing to and of how they saw how genealogies work. Matthew was doing it. Do you realize he starts with Abraham, but he says Christ the son of David. Why? Because he was now the one who would be from David, who would sit again on the throne. Isaiah talks about that, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the root that would come up from the stump and that it was cut down the throne because of their disobedience and they were sent into exile and you thought it was done. God was not going to fulfill his promise, but God says, you don't know me. And he was still able, David's son, genealogically speaking, Christ came and fulfilled and sat on a throne that he would now never get off. And so that's the picture that Matthew was painting for you and I. And he wants us to lean in and to trust God and his Christ because God says, I handled business throughout generations to bring about what I wanted. So what do you think I can do for you? Somehow your current generational issue is too hard for the God who kept this promise through multiple generations? Can we, can we gain some encouragement from what God just did? So God is a God of his promise, and he keeps his promise. And then we see that he also uses, verse 3, he says that he was the father of Judah and his brothers, verse 3, and Judah, the father of Perez and, and um, Zerah by Tamar. He didn't have to mention her, but he did. And, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. He didn't have to mention her, but he did. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Once again, and Obed, and, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. I love this. What's the second thing that he's saying in the genealogy? That Jesus came into this world humbly. He mentioned, first of all, genealogies back then rarely, if ever, mentioned women. That's just the way it was. Don't get mad. It's the way it was. They didn't. And if they did, it would be women of high regard. So Sarah, Leah, Rebecca, he mentions four that would be considered scandalous in that society. Why? He mentions Tamar. In, in, the, in the scriptures, she became great but, but, but was not seen like that. And then he mentions listen, Rahab. We know that she worked on behalf of of the spies who came, but she herself was a prostitute who came in obedience to the things of God. Then he mentions Ruth. And I love this, that he mentions Ruth, 
who was stellar, but Ruth came from a group of people that were forbidden to deal with by the Jews at that time by God and that they were big enemies back in that day. What does God do? What is Matthew doing? Jesus came humbly, but here's the greater part. Jesus is for all because in his genealogy, God purposed that there was all. Every kind, every mess. See, so just when you want to think, if I'm going to write the genealogy, I'm finding all the relatives that have done everything great. I am hiding that crazy uncle. I'm not talking about that, 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 that aunt that embarrassed the whole family. I'm not talking about some of the scandalous stuff that went on. Y'all won't know about that. I'm going to find the best of the best so that I put the best foot forward. Jesus, I mean, God says in Christ, I'm going to put the real foot forward. Y'all are a mess. And I love this, that God says, I work through all of it. And when Jesus came, that's why he said that salvation was for all. It came through the Jews, but it was for all. And we see it here. Because if anyone, if, if any Jewish person was to read that genealogy, they were like, they must be crazy. What kind of Jesus is this that's coming? You put all this up here and you want me to trust him? Because he came humbly without pretense. He said, yes, I came through sinful men, but me, myself, I'm not sinful. I came through the lineage, although we know he was not born of a union between man and woman, but he came through the lineage of it, and God is showing it don't matter. It doesn't, it, it doesn't even matter to him how much mess there is. God will work out his end result. So I'm going to tell you right now, for you and I and our family, as we look at celebrating this Christ and this Messiah, can I tell you, he knows the dirt in your family. He knows the mess. You don't have to hide it. He knows all that you've been through. He knows the crazy stuff that none of y'all are talking about or none of us are talking about. He knows all of that and is still wanting to work out his plan that you come out looking like Christ more and more every day as you walk in obedience to him. That's what he's saying to us. What can we learn in the genealogy? <laughs> that Jesus is for everyone because he came representing everyone. I love that. See, that group of people that you would never associate with, whatever that group is, and let me just help you out. We all have that group. All of us. That group God says, I'm working through that group. See, he says things like when he was talking with his disciples, I must go through Samaria. Because I would have been thinking, Jesus, you must be crazy. Samaria? Oh, we, not only do we not have any dealings with those folks, they're not even really us. And yet Jesus has to. And we know that that was the first time that he revealed himself as the Messiah was to a Samaritan woman. I love that. 
Why? Because when we like to only deal with people that are neat and nice, and we could tie a bow around their life, God is like, I'm jumping in the mess because he comes out still clean. Not only that, what can we learn? We can learn God is the God of his promise that Jesus was for all. And then lastly, I love this. God works to bring about the perfect end through whatever mess in humanity there is. See, the issue is God is God has worked out his plan of salvation in Christ, and we sit here today. When I read the last part, when you go to verse 15, and Elihu, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and now these are people that are in and coming back from the exile the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. He says, so all generations from Abraham to David were 14. There are actually more. He compressed some. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14. And from the deportation of Babylon to Christ, 14. Look at what he is saying here. He says, from Abraham, from the promise to the king of promise uh, to exile to the promised one from exile. God is saying, it doesn't matter. I'm going to finish what I've started and I'm using messy you. I'm, I'm... I'm humbled. See, now, that doesn't give me an excuse to be messy. That should cause me to want to walk holy and want to walk in greater and greater obedience. But he is saying, I'm using messy you. Listen, you don't have to fix you to come to me. He says you can't. He just proved it through generation to generation. Y'all, we messy. Period. And God says, I'm going to come about with my desired end through your messiness. And so you keep striving to walk in me faithfully. You keep striving to obey me and to look forward to walking in me. But he said, know that even in your mess up state, I'm working out my promise. Yes, you may bear the scars of your bad decisions. He says, but I'm still using you because ultimately in the end is not you that he wants people to give glory to. It's his Christ. And so whenever you and I show up clean and now we're growing and we look like we've got some sense about us and we're starting to walk in obedience to God, God says Jesus gets the glory. He says something like this. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
It's not about y'all. It's not about me. Here's what's happening. God says, I want some people to glorify me, but I'm going to use you because you are who they see every day. And when you start living out of what God has done for you and is doing in you, they're going to praise me because he is the only one worthy of praise. I know you think sometimes you are, and you've done really good things, and I want people to talk about me. God says, have a seat. They really talking about me. You know, and I like the picture of the person that's standing there facing their enemies, and all of a sudden their enemies in fear start to back off, and they think, wow, I got juice, man, folks, are, and they don't realize who's standing behind you. Many times you and I forget that. We start getting some success. We get a few promotions at work. We start making a little bit more money. We get to buy a few things, and, and we get to accumulate some, and we start looking good. We smelling good. We go in good places, get a few nice vacations in. Yeah, you know, vacations in, and, and then we think, I'm it. And God says, you don't see who's standing behind you. You don't see who's standing in you. The fact is, I love this, God is a God of his promise. He makes and he keeps his promises. God is a God for everyone because he has represented everyone, good and bad. He came through the mess. And then lastly, oh my goodness, when we see this, is that regardless of it, God will bring out his desired end. And he did it dealing with messy people. So here's what I'm going to encourage us to. Here's what I'm encourage us. <laughs> you and I. Sometimes when God has us in context that we rather not be in, that we realize the context that Jesus was in for us. Can you imagine Jesus coming here? Can you imagine leaving glory, perfection, leaving perfection to live amongst imperfection? Let me take y'all back a little bit. Think about the time where you were in a place that you couldn't wait to get out of the moment you arrived. You were like, I'm ready to go right now. I don't want to be around these people. I don't want to be in this old smelly place. I'm tired of all of y'all from the moment I showed up. Some of us would even say, y'all ain't deserving of me being here. How do you think Jesus felt? Now, granted, I don't think that he was, I'm tired of y'all or none of that. Because he came with a purpose. But understand, whew, understand what he had to deal with. Understand who he had to deal with. I always go back to when he was standing there um, as he was preparing to go to the cross. And he's standing before those. And he responds to the high priest and the guy slaps him. Do you know who you're talking to? He says to Jesus. He's the high priest. I would have been like, you obviously don't realize who you're talking to. And then he would be gone. 
I just. They'd be like, that was the first time I've ever seen a guy vaporize. Because that's how I would have done it. But see, he puts up with us because there was a mission in hand. He put up with our ignorance and our arrogance because there was a mission in hand. Oh, believe me, that will be judged if we don't bring that under the cross of Christ. But what he is telling us is who he is so that now we in turn, as we are engaging our world, we're able to tolerate a few things that we think are beneath us. We're able to be among people who we think aren't worthy of us. And then he changes our minds so that we understand we aren't worthy of anything. But he has made us worthy of all things. See, the issue just becomes, for, I love the picture that God paints. I look at genealogies differently now. Because he painted a wonderful picture of who this Jesus is that God brought about and how God brought him about. It also gives me courage and it encourages me as I begin, as I continue to live out my life for the Lord. It encourages me that regardless of my context, I can be approved by God and obedient. That regardless of what happens to me, some of by my own hand, God can work it out for his good and his glory and my benefit. And so at the end, God gets praise from my life. And I look back and I don't look back going, I did that. I look back saying, he did that. Look at what he did. Look at how he did it. Y'all praise God because when you see me, you see the work of the Lord. And then God in the end gets glory.